Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. of you who are joining us for our 11 o'clock service and we had a wonderful service at 9 30 a lot of our volunteers were able to come back for that service next weekend we'll have even more at the 9 30 and the 11 next weekend more at the 5 9 30 and 11 and then we'll be able to welcome many of you back on uh, the 6th and the 7th but this weekend i'm so happy to be able to bring this message to you because in this series exiled we've been looking at different ways and times in the bible how god uses periods of exile to do some of his deepest and most significant work in the life of his people. Understand, God is intentional. Nothing catches him by surprise. In and through every experience of life, God is at work. And I believe he allows things to happen to us so that he might do something in us, so ultimately he can do something through us. Someone as well said, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Nothing catches him by surprise. There wasn't an emergency meeting in heaven when this corona thing broke out. And they they didn't huddle up there saying, oh man, what are we going to do? We weren't counting on this. Listen, we're going to be okay. This too shall pass. I've read the last book of the Bible. Guess what? We win. So everything's going to be fine. No panic in heaven, Corey Ten Boom said, only plans. And I'm so happy to know that today. So this morning we're looking at another way in which God uses exile. He will use exile, think about this, as a means of promotion. Promotion. Moving his people from where they are to the next level of effectiveness. Now, if I know my heart, as long as God gives me life, I want to be more effective at doing the thing God has designed me to do. And I think that ought to be the heart of everyone who knows him, that we would be more effective at doing the thing God has called, uh, created us to do. God's created you to do something. Uh, there's a purpose for your life. You're not an accident. You're an incident. God designed you with a plan and a purpose, and when you connect with your creator and you follow the owner's manual, you have an amazing way of finding purpose in life. I've shared with you many times since Cindy's gone to heaven, one of the things God has poured into my spirit is the idea of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, to everything there's a season. Life is made up of seasons. There are good seasons and bad, happy seasons and sad. This is a season you and I are in right now. But to everything, there is a season. And then he said, there is a time to every purpose under heaven. We have purpose. And God gives us time to fulfill purpose. And so we're going to be here until our purpose is over. And no matter where you are, no matter who you are, the moment your purpose is over, God's going to call you home. And you're going to step from the temporal into the eternal. You're going to say absent from the body, present with the Lord. You'll say good night down here and good morning up there. And that's going to happen one day if Jesus tarries his coming. So as a Christ follower or someone who is pursuing God, we need to understand God has purpose. And our purpose is significant. And I want to be effective in the purpose that God has given me for my life. And so God is in the business of promoting his people to the next level of effectiveness. Psalm 37, a great psalm we often quote here who he says, the steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord. Think of your life as a series of steps. It's like going through school. You have third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, and so on. And so life is a series of steps. 
Each step, you grow in knowledge. Each step, you find a new level of effectiveness. Uh, you find opposition too. We said where there's new levels, there's new devils. And so as you go through the steps of life, what at one level was a challenge to you, at the next level will not be as big of a challenge to you. You've mastered the level beneath you. So God is moving you progressively, step by step by step, promoting you, if you will, step by step. Think about it, the thing that is now a ceiling to you, if you continue to take steps, will soon be a floor beneath you. The thing that you're faced with today that's a challenge, if you'll continue taking those steps and allowing God to move you progressively through this process, you will find that that which challenges you at one level, you will master at the next level, and life is a series of steps. And I, I, I would also add to that as by way of introduction, I would also say that this promotion is a process. It takes time. No one becomes an overnight you know, success. There's no such thing of that. You're not fully grown overnight. It is a process. It takes time. You think about the people in the Bible, God did significant things through their life. It was a series of, of, of events and it took time. Abraham and Sarah, remember God said, you're going to have a son. Guess how long it took them before they had that son, Isaac? 25 years. That's a lot of practice. 25 years before Isaac came along. And then you look into the Bible, you find other people like Joseph. And God said to Joseph through a dream, man, one day people will bow before you. And one day you're going to be blessed. But wow, you know, the pathway to the palace was a pit and a prison. I mean, before God blessed Joseph, he went through a series of trials, and you will too, and, and I will as well. You look in the Bible again, and you see young David, how he's keeping the sheep belonging to his father, Jesse. And one day, the prophet was sent to Jesse's house, and the prophet was told, the next king that will follow Saul is among your sons. It's an amazing story. Uh, Jesse calls all the boys up to the house and the prophet looks at all the boys and he says, man, uh, the, the, the king is not among these. Surely you have another son. And Jesse said, well, uh, yeah, I do. It's uh, David. You can't mean David. He's out taking care of the sheep. Wow. How'd you like to have been David? How'd you like for them to say, hey, I want to see all your kids. And he goes, oh, all your kids. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about Bill. He's out there taking care of the sheep. He's in the barn. I'll go get him. <laughs> that was David. I mean, you talk about voted most likely to be effective or be a success. That would have been David in his yearbook. Most likely not to be a success. Even his father didn't have confidence in him. And I'm just suggesting to your heart that God saw him. In fact, David would later write, God does not look on the outward as we do, but he looks on the heart. God not only sees who you are, he sees who you could be. He sees the potential that you possess. And God saw David. And the Bible says that when the, David shows up at the house, the prophet says, that's the one. And he anoints him to be king. But watch this. David didn't leave the house, pack his bags, and go to the throne and say, Saul, I'm here. Let's tag out. I'm the new king. Now, he could have said that. David was just as much king at the house as a young man as he would ever be. But it was a process. You know what he did instead? He went back to taking care of sheep. He went back to realizing that I have an anointing on my life. I have purpose for my life. God is going to do something in my life. I need to wait on God's timing. You and I deal with time. We look at our watches. We look at the clock. We look at the calendar. Everything is according to time. We say, man, this needs to happen. And we live like that. That's not how God goes. God doesn't deal in time. He's beyond time. He deals with timing. Timing. God is a God of rhythm. And God looks at your life and he's not saying no, delays are not denials. He's just saying not yet. 
You're not ready. There's some things you need to go through and there's some things that need to happen. I need to get you ready. Think about your child. You have a six, seven-year-old child in the house and they say, hey, mom, hey, dad, I want to run down to the store. You're not going to pitch the keys or the fob to them and say, okay, honey, grab some ice cream. No, couldn't even reach the pedals. Now, in about 10, 12 years, you may say, hey, honey, go to the store because then, you know, they're ready. What's my point? My point is if we know that about our kids, why don't we understand that about God's kids? He may not be saying no to your heart this morning, your dreams, your desires. He may not be saying no. He just may be saying not yet. I don't want you to go up like a rocket and come down like a rock. You see, if God's going to grow squash, he'll take about 40 days. If he's going to grow an oak tree, he'll take about 40 years. God is doing something in your life. Go with it. Just roll with it. Just understand God has a purpose. He has a plan. And God's plan involves time. It involves time. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, listen to this. Therefore, get this, will the Lord wait that he may be gracious to you? God is waiting so that he may be, what is he saying? He's saying he's waiting because he has something better for you. Listen, don't settle for good when best is available. Don't settle for good when great is available. God may be saying, man, don't jump at the first thing that comes down the pike. I got something far better from you. I'm waiting so that I can be gracious to you. It's what Isaiah said. Here's another one. Habakkuk chapter two, verse three. This is a good one too. At the time I have decided, get this, at the time I have decided, God said, at the time I have decided, my words will come true. Did you hear that? God said, at the time I've decided, I've got a time. And at the time I've decided, my words will come true. Listen, you can trust what I say about the future. Listen, it may take a long time, but keep on waiting. It will happen. For some of you, you can just hear this and you can, you, you know, you can take a nap. <laughs> don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give out. Now, don't take a nap yet. But the point I'm making is that's just something some of you need to hear. It's going to take time, but God said, keep believing in this. Keep pursuing this. If he's put it in your heart and he has designed you to do it, he will bring it to pass. I think about one of the greatest men of the, of the Bible, uh, Moses, and I think about how this happened in his life. You talk about a man that God sent into exile to prepare him for promotion, Moses. One of the greatest, most effective leaders, probably the pastor, you could say, of the Old Testament, leading a million people, can you imagine? Leading them into freedom. And in Exodus chapter 3, you see just a few words of our text to kind of launch us into the heart of what I wanted to share with you this morning, where the Bible says Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. I love that. I always have to stop and think about Jethro. Don't you love a name like Jethro? That's a southern boy right there. That's Jethro. I think about Jethro Bodine, right? That's Jethro. He is the father-in-law of Moses. Now, he's in Midian, the Bible says. In fact, he's a priest. And Moses had led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Remember, we talked about Elijah going into the cave at Horeb. Horeb is also Mount Sinai, that famous mountain where Moses would later receive the Ten Commandments from God. That same mountain, Moses is there now. He's at the mountain of God, and there the angel of the Lord appears to him in flames of fire from within a bush, a thorn bush. This little bramble bush is on fire, and Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I'm going to check this out. Well, I'll go over to see the strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up, and why the Lord, uh, and, and rather, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. 
And Moses said, here I am. Let me give you two or three thoughts and we'll, and we'll close our service this morning. The first thing is God led Moses into exile. Number one, to protect him. To protect him. Uh, I think in some ways God was protecting Moses from Moses. Sometimes God will send you to a place and sometimes he will give you space because he's trying to protect you from you because you're not in a good place. Uh, sometimes we don't need to say everything we think. Um, sometimes we just need to wait and give ourselves time to cool down, to chill out. And, and Moses was a man who was um, uh, impetuous. He was, he was one of these kind of ready, fire, aim kind of guys. Do something even if it's wrong. And there were a lot of things that Moses was going to have to work through as we're going to think about in a moment while God was getting him ready to promote him to a level where he could lead Egypt, out, uh, rather lead Israel out of Egypt to the promised land. But the first thing you see here as the story opens about the life of Moses is the man needed to be protected and he needed to be protected from himself. The name Moses is an interesting name. It means to be drawn out, to be drawn out. You remember how his life opened as uh, Pharaoh had commanded that all the Hebrew baby boys be put to death and Jochebed, Moses' mom, says, not gonna happen to my kid. Mama bear rose up, hid that baby in the bulrushes. Pharaoh's daughter, remember, was bathing herself and spots the little one and she falls in love. Those maternal instincts kick in. Moses' big sister was hiding nearby and rushes to, in fear that Moses may be thrown into the river. And instead, uh, Pharaoh's daughter falls in love with that baby boy and says, I'm gonna raise him as my own. And Moses' older sister says, well, I know the perfect person that could actually serve as his nursemaid that could, could, uh, could help you with that, and that's my mom. She's great with him. She'd be great with him. And so unbeknownst to, initially to Pharaoh and to Pharaoh's daughter, they hire Moses' mother, and Pharaoh pays the mother of Moses to raise him in the house of Pharaoh and royalty. That's a pretty sweet deal, ladies. And so somebody else paid her to raise her own kids. And one of the things that I know happened in the, in the palace is that, that uh, Moses was learning to speak the language of the Egyptians. He was learning about their culture. He was learning about their theology, the many gods that they serve. He was learning all about the, the Egyptians, but at the same time, his mama was telling him about God. He's telling him about the true and, and, and living God. And so here this boy had this diverse religious instruction, this diverse education. On one hand, he's learning about the ways of the Egyptians. On the other hand, she doesn't want him to forget his roots, who he is and where he's from. She's teaching him about the God of the Hebrews. And the Bible says, when you read how Hebrews records the experience, that when he came of age, when he was old enough to decide for his own, and every parent watching me will know that there comes a time when our kids are old enough to take ownership of their faith. It's what we pray they do. We can bring them. The Bible says train up a child in the way they should go. We steer them in the right direction. But after we've steered them in the right direction, there's nothing left for us to do but pray for them. And at that point, they have to choose to own their own faith, take responsibility for their own decisions. And when you read Hebrews 11, as it records this moment in the life of Moses, it said when he became of age, he chose. Here's what he chose. He chose to identify himself with the Hebrews than to enjoy the luxuries of the Egyptians. He realized there was something to the God of the Hebrews that was very different than the gods of the Egyptians. And so this young man owns his faith. And when you look in Exodus 2, you see him trying to awkwardly walk out his faith. 
He's trying now to be the deliverer of the, of the Hebrews. He sees the oppression as they have been held under the heavy hand of Pharaoh. And they've been in slavery all of these years. And they've been abused and misused. And now his heart is heavy for them. He sympathizes with them. He says something has to be done. And even in his heart then, I think God was already stirring him toward this deliverance. But the time wasn't right. The timing wasn't there. Moses was ready to go, but God was saying, you're not ready for this. And instead of waiting on God, he becomes impatient, impetuous. And you see it down in chapter 12 of Exodus 2, where he goes out and he sees this this Egyptian and he's beating on this Hebrew slave and he's angry about it. And maybe in his mind, he was thinking, well, if I step up and I rescue this Hebrew slave, word will get around that Moses is breaking from the palace and Moses is going to be our true deliverer. Maybe that was going on in his head. I don't know what he was thinking, but he didn't consult God about it. He didn't stop and pray about it. (laughs) In fact, when you read chapter two, uh, two, verse 12, it says, get this, he looked this way and that way. Let me say something. I've told all the services this, I'll tell you this too. Anytime you're about to make a decision, And before you make the decision, you look this way and that way, you're about to do something stupid, right? I don't know what it is. I don't know what you're thinking. But if you have to look this way and that way to make sure nobody is seeing you, you need to pay attention to your little stupid light that's blinking on the dashboard of your brain that's telling you, alert, don't do this. You're about to do something crazy. And I believe the little stupid light was flashing and he just ignored it. He looked this way and that way. He said, the coast is clear, and he kills that joker. And not only does he kill him, the Bible says he buries him under the sand, thinking no one will see this. Can I tell you, at the end of the day, nobody gets by with anything. (laughs) There's an all-seeing hand of God. (laughs) I mean, there's an old Chinese proverb that says, if you don't want someone to know it, just don't do it. And I'm just saying that wasn't in his head. Here's what happens. Here's what happens when the devil tempts us to do something stupid. He doesn't fill your heart with hatred of God. He fills your heart with forgetfulness of God. It's not that you're angry with God or you don't believe in God. You believe in God just for a little while. You put the pause on your spiritual life. You ignore the stupid light on your brain dashboard. And you just forget about him. I want to do what I want to do because I want to do it. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it because that's how I roll. And all of a sudden, and and listen, listen, God will let you do that. I think sometimes he probably brings the angels over the edge of heaven and says, look down there at one of my kids. They're about to do something incredibly stupid. You just got to watch this. Here they go, right? And Moses buries the Egyptian thinking he got by with it. Nobody saw Read the next two verses down, the next is chapter two. He goes back out, he's walking among the Hebrews now, he's trying to identify with them. Again, remember, he's trying to make his break from the Egyptians, he's trying to build some cred with the Hebrews, and he sees these two Hebrew guys fighting. He goes over to break up the fight, and you know what they say to him? Hey man, are you gonna kill us like you killed that Egyptian? Wow, busted. Thinking no one knew? Listen, there's always somebody that knows. And believe me, it doesn't matter how repentant you are of what you've done. There's always going to be somebody that's going to point at you and call out the faults of your past. It's just human nature. And man, all of a sudden fear grips him because they drop a dime on him. They go to Pharaoh and they say, let me tell you what your boy just did. 
He violated your law. He needs to die. And I'm sure Pharaoh with a heavy heart had to agree. And Moses knew. He knew he was a dead man. So he leaves. He leaves. He travels to the lands of the Midianites, which is now in the, um, is, uh, close to Saudi Arabia now in our, in, in, in our modern uh, geography. But it's in that area that he goes uh, to flee from Pharaoh. And he hides among the Midianites. And when he approaches the land of the Midianites, there are these ladies as they are watering their flocks at the well. And Moses approaches them and he begins to help them and assist them. And they saw how he was dressed. He was in the finery of Egypt. They realized that this guy's royalty. I mean, that Armani suit didn't come off the rack at men's warehouse. I mean, this boy's dressed. And they realized not only was he dressed well, but he had culture. They recognized not only he had a culture, but he had all the finery. He probably was wearing all these jewels and things that he brought out of Egypt with him because he left in a hurry. So they knew, I don't know who this guy is. He's, he's somebody. And so they leave and they go tell their father, Father Jethro, we just met a guy at the well. And, and, and Jethro said, well, bring him up to the house. Mama's got fried chicken. <laughs> well, that's not in there, but you know. And so they bring him up to the house and they have dinner. And it isn't long until Moses spots one of the daughters of, of uh, Jethro named Zipporah. And they get married. And man, his life takes, you talk about an abrupt change. He goes from the palace to the country life. He goes from the big city to the country life. Talk about Green Acres. Remember that story? Yeah, that's his world right now, man. He is a, he is a city boy learning about country things. And here he is, God is using this experience all in his life, though he didn't connect dots just yet, but God is protecting him. So he moves him into the land of the Midianites. He marries Zipporah, and he begins his life there, probably thinking that all my dreams and aspirations are behind me. I need to accept my fate. I made a stupid mistake. I can never get over it. So I just need to do the best I can with the time that I have left. And what he didn't realize is the second thought I wanted to give you this morning. God was not only using this time of exile to protect him, but he was using it to prepare him. To prepare him. You see, Moses knew how to, how to act and how to respond in Egypt. He knew how to handle life in a palace, but the boy ain't never lived in the country. <laughs> he didn't know about shotguns and dogs and hunting and fishing, and he didn't know about you know, taking care of yourself and cutting wood. And if you've ever camped, you know it's a totally different experience than, let's say, the Ritz. It's a little different experience than walking in and somebody takes care of you from the time you step out of your car until the time you check out. From the time you drag that trailer behind the truck or you get in the camper in the bed of the pickup, it's a little different experience, wouldn't you say? And you may be good in the palace, but you are totally lost in the wilderness. And God was using this man to prepare him because his time in the wilderness was going to prepare him to lead the people of God eventually out of Egypt, guess what, into the wilderness. And it's hard to lead people somewhere that you've never been. So God was putting him into a situation unbeknownst to him at the time to teach him some, some style, to teach him some techniques, to teach him how to survive in an environment he would need a little later on. He learned what plants you can eat and what you can't eat. Those berries are good. Don't eat those. Those will make you sick. You're out here and you need water. Well, there, that's that cactus. And you can go down there. We can find water here. I mean, he was learning about things he never, he never knew before. You know, you can be knowledgeable in one field of endeavor and just be, just be lost in another field of endeavor. 
You can know well about how to do your life and how to do your world, but you can come in contact with a friend of yours that's in a different profession than you, and you can find yourself lost. You know about what you do, but you don't understand their world, and that's exactly what was going on with him. He, he, he was a teacher over here, but now he's a student over here. He had mastered this over here, but now he's learning over there. He knew how to do the palace. He just didn't know how to do the prairie. He, he knew how to, how to handle the protocols of royalty, but he didn't know how to hang out with a country boy and live life on the farm. So he was learning some skills. <laughs> he was out of his zone. He was out of his depth, and yet he was adapting. And the Bible says, here is, God is preparing him. He's getting him ready. He knows that everything that is happening to him right now, he's going to use in the future. And let me say to your heart, everything you're going through right now, God is using to prepare you for the future. It may be an event. It may be a person. Listen, God does not, uh, he does not waste any experience you and I go through. All things work together for good. To those who love him, those, you say, man, that was heartbreaking. That was a betrayal. That was sad. My heart, I don't understand. This is a difficult, I don't get, I mean, you, you, can, you can join me. I believe me, I'll sit right there with you. I got just as big of a list as yours. We can go through it. Or finally, we just gather all that up and say, you know what, God? You have a plan. I can't change the past, but I can reorder my thinking in the present, knowing it's going to impact my future. And I realize everything I've gone through is going to prepare me to be more effective at where I'm going. And that's how God works. Right now in quarantine, wherever you're sitting and whoever you're with, God is using the experience you're going through. This season, it'll pass, but during this season, he's preparing you for life at the next level. That was what was going on to Moses. And listen, he's there, are you ready? 40 years. Good night. 40 years. He never, and according to the record, he never says, God, why? When's this going to end? What's going to go? No, no, no. I, I, think he, I think he was good with it. The prayer you need to pray oftentimes is not, listen, not God change this, but God change me. Here's what I found. God did not die for my circumstance. He died for me. God will use my circumstance. He will even create a circumstance, but he does it to change me, to change you. So instead of focusing on your circumstances and asking God to change that, it's in his control. He will when he's ready. But just say, God, help me in this circumstance to learn what you're trying to teach me. Now I've told you before, God will do one of two things. He'll either lift the burden from you or he'll give you the strength to carry the burden. He'll take it away from you or he'll give you the grace to deal with it. He told Paul no. He told me no. Paul just said, my grace, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. 40 years, 40 years. He's a country boy now. He's got Merle Haggard and he's got Johnny Cash. All those are on his playlist now. He's listening to them. God bless him. That's a great that's play, playlist. He's got all that. That's, that's, that's his tune. He's got a one-eyed dog, a pickup truck, a shotgun. I, I'm, I'm off road here, but you get the point. And all of a sudden he's uh, taking care of the sheep up in the mountains. And he walks by this bush that's burning. And he sees it and it strikes him, but that's not unusual because when you study the culture of the day out in those arid regions, it, lightning strikes sometimes, spontaneous combustion other times. It wasn't unusual to see some brush burning out in the wilderness. But what was unusual about this brush was it wasn't consumed. Usually it would burn a few minutes and it's just gone. 
But this time it's burning and burning and burning and burning. It's not consumed. And so he's got the sheep and he's walking along and he's listening to, you know, Merle and he's walking. And all of a sudden he looks and he notices, man, that, that bush is still burning. And he realizes this is something unusual. That's not natural. That's supernatural. And he has enough instinct and he has enough wisdom. The Bible says he turned aside and he approaches the bush. And when he does, the Bible says God spoke to him. Now, I want you to see this. God did not speak to him until he turned aside and he went to the bush. God wants your undivided attention. Are you, could it be you're walking past a brush pile that's on fire and you're oblivious to it because you're too focused on your own stuff? Could it be that there's fire around you right now that's burning and you're so focused on where you're trying to go and how you're trying to get there that you're not sensitive to what God is trying to say to you? And when he turned aside and he walked toward it, God knew, got his attention, and he says, Moses, Moses, the double call, it's emphasis, it's important. Man, when God calls your name twice, that's significant. There are times in the Bible God has called his people twice. Um, Genesis 22, when God said to uh, Abraham, offer Isaac your only son as a sacrifice, blew him away, didn't understand it, difficult to comprehend. But just as he was about to do it, God said to him, Abraham, Abraham, stopped him. You look again in the scripture in 1 Samuel 3, verse 10, here's young Samuel. Uh, he's asleep and God calls him in the middle of the night, Samuel, Samuel, I've got a purpose and a plan for your life. Simon Peter in Luke chapter 22, here Simon Peter is telling Jesus, everybody else may turn on you, man, but I'm the last man standing. Jesus said, you're the first guy out of the door. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that when you're converted, when you're changed, when you've turned, you're going to strengthen your brothers. Luke chapter 10, when Mary and Martha were in the house and Jesus shows up unannounced and Martha's in the kitchen stressed about what she's going to feed Jesus. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Remember the story. Martha comes back into the room. She says, Jesus, would you tell Mary to get up and help a sister? I mean, I cannot believe this. Don't you hate it when you're panicked? Nobody else is. Help me. And Jesus looked at her. You don't get inflection when you read it, but I think he kind of said, Martha, Martha, bless your heart. Just a sandwich. What do you got in there? Just come in here and chill out, baby. We're fine, right? That's not there, but that's kind of how I think it went. And then you have Acts chapter 9. You have Saul on the road to Damascus, breathing out threatenings against the people of God. And all of a sudden, the light shines from heaven, and Paul hits the ground and realizes it's Jesus. And he says again twice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So I go back to the significance of the double call. He says, Moses, Moses, I've got a plan for you. Listen, I haven't forgotten you. And can I tell you this morning, as I kind of wrap this up, he hadn't forgotten you either. And you know what his plan involved? It involved the third thing I wanted to give you. He did this to promote him. You're about to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. You're the perfect man for the job. Unbeknownst to you, you may not even realize it, but all this time I was protecting you. I was protecting you. And while I was protecting you, I was preparing you, and I was preparing you so that I could now promote you. Listen, who better to go into the, to the palace and talk to Pharaoh than a man that was raised there? He knew the protocols. He wasn't going to be intimidated by the pomp and circumstance. He had the wisdom to know what you do and what you don't do in a palace. He had the wisdom to know who you approach and who you don't approach. He had been in that environment. It wasn't going to intimidate him. 
He could speak their language. He understood uh, their culture. He was uniquely prepared. And yet, he had been a shepherd. He had learned how to lead because he knew how to follow. He had been under the care of Jethro, his father-in-law, all these years, taking care of sheep. The Bible says he didn't even own. Didn't bother him. God had humbled his heart. And now he had uniquely qualified this man who had been in the palace and had been out in the plains. He had uniquely qualified him and prepared him to promote him. And Moses would be that famous leader who would lead, listen, a million of God's people out of Egypt through the wilderness toward their promised land. Listen, friend, as long as you're alive, God has a purpose for you. And the plan is to put you through a series of events to prepare you, to protect you, so that ultimately he may promote you. So you can fulfill your purpose at a much higher, more effective level. Let's pray together. Father, help us to understand and comprehend and apply your word. I pray you'll speak to each heart. I pray, Father, that we won't just be hearers of your word, as James said, but we'll be doers of your word. Help us to execute that which you've poured into our spirit today. I pray if there's one watching the service today who's never trusted you as Savior, that this might be the moment where they humble their heart and they swallow their pride and say, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin. Be a re reality in me is my prayer. I pray for everyone watching, you'll lift the burden You'll, Father, help them not to stress or fret, but to know you've got this. This too shall pass. Help us, Lord, to live each moment cognizant of your presence in our life. Bless the families, bless the kids, bless the jobs, bless the health. I pray soon you'll heal our land. As we open our nation, I pray you'll bless those who are able to go back out and engage in the life again and bless those who've been making life possible for us all during this time. Thank you, Lord, for our staff, for our food pantry who feeds now hundreds of people each week. Thank you for that. Thank you for the faithfulness of your people to support their church by viewing and sharing and supporting financially. We're so grateful for each one. Help us, Lord, to be more effective. I pray that each one of us, as well as this ministry, can take this to the next level of effectiveness for your honor and for your glory. And we'll give you praise. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Thank you again, again for joining us. I made a sniglet there, made up a word. Thank you again for joining us. I hope that uh, you'll be faithful in all the engagements that we offer throughout the week. I'll have a study out at the house tomorrow evening. We have a lot of things on the schedule. We want you to come online with us and be a part of this. Share this so that, again, your family and friends uh, can see this. Again, I think our staff... I thank our band, Rob and Laney, and again, our amazing tech team that makes this possible for you to see and hear it for all the platforms that we're now streaming on. We're very grateful. Have a wonderful week. If you chose to receive Christ as your Savior, let us know. If you're new to this, write in the comments. We'll go back on. I, I, I like to read through all those as I'm recovering on Sunday afternoon. I have those holy hangovers after all these services, so I'll have that to do. So thanks for joining us. It's great to see you. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.